Good to be with you. Uh, just to reintroduce myself, my name is Robert Cunningham, and I'm the RUF campus minister at the University of Virginia. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about me and my family, um, my wife, uh, Catherine, and I have been married for about 10 years, and uh, we have two wonderful little children, a little girl who is six years old, just finishing kindergarten, which is pretty wild, and uh, a little boy uh, who is almost three, who uh, keeps us tired and on our toes all the time. He currently uh, thinks it's very loving and affectionate to hit people with sticks and throw things at them. So uh, we're always trying to navigate that. Uh, But one of the joys of of their life and our life uh, is really getting to to share life with students at the University of Virginia. Like, um, our, our kids call the students the big kids. And they are in our house all the time. And it is truly one of the joys of our life to, to walk alongside students at UVA as they ask their questions, they process through their doubts and their hopes and their fears. Um, it is a privilege to do that with them and be alongside them. And what I want to thank you for is that you help that happen. Uh, whether you know it or not, your acts of generosity, your prayers, uh, your financial gifts, Uh, Some of those are given to RUF at UVA, and in this very mysterious and beautiful way, your gifts uh, become God's gifts to very real people that need them. And so I want to thank you for that and and for your partnership in the ministry with me and with my family. Uh, It's a sweet thing to get to come and speak that to you and remind you that you're sharing in the work of God all over the world, but, but very concretely as well at UVA in Charlottesville. And that's a sweet thing. Um, And If any of you want to hear more about that regularly, we send out a monthly kind of email newsletter and be happy to add your email to that if you're interested. And if you know anybody that is coming to UVA as a student at any time, please let us know because we'd love to welcome them and invite them into community there. Um, Okay, so that's kind of the intro for me. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at at the Psalms, at one of the Psalms. Uh, This past spring at our RUF large group meeting, uh, we, we meet on Tuesday nights and worship together. We studied through the Psalms and, and picked a few, tried to cover every genre of the Psalms. And uh, as I did every night that we did that, I want to orient you with just a quick word about the Psalms before we dive in. Um, and first, what are the Psalms? Uh, well, well, the Psalms come from this Greek word, psalmos, which is a translation of a Hebrew, Hebrew word that just means to sing praise or to make music. And that really captures the essence of what the Psalms are. They're this songbook in the Bible, this collection of poetic prayers that are intended both to be prayed and to be sung. And and, and the the hope is that as you sing them and as you pray them, they actually change you. They change the way you experience the world. They change the way you see it, the way you think of God, the way you think of your own self, the way you think of your neighbors. They actually form you in this very powerful and beautiful way. Uh, The way that many songs and poems form us even now, the the, the Psalms have this deeper power in that way as God works through them. But another question I like to ask is why should we study the Psalms and kind of give ourselves to them? And well, at one level, we study the Psalms because they teach us how to pray. Um, I don't know about you, but, but many people who are Christians, we struggle to know how to pray and how to grow in our prayer life. And the Psalms are a gift to us uh, where we're literally invited to pray those words and know that that is a prayer that God wants from you. But even more, I think they teach us to pray honestly. Uh, If you ever read the Psalms, you'll come across Psalms where you think, I can't believe it's okay to say that in a prayer. 
it sounds so raw and honest and vulnerable. And the Psalms are kind of meant to, to help us in our speechlessness. You know, I think when we're most overwhelmed, sometimes when we're most joyful, we would describe ourselves as speechless. And the Psalms, in many ways, are God's gift to say, when you're speechless, here are the words to speak. Because he knows that oftentimes those words actually help us articulate some of the deepest things that we are feeling and experiencing in our lives. And it's why John Calvin, the great reformer, he referred to the Psalms as an anatomy of the human soul. And he said, when you look at the Psalms, they're like a mirror. And they show you the deepest parts of your heart. And they invite you to actually speak those. And they draw them out of us, speak them back to God. And so they're a gift. And this morning, we're going to look at a genre of psalm that we're probably most uncomfortable with and most unfamiliar with, and it's called lament, psalm of lament. We're going to look at Psalm 13, which in many ways is the model psalm of lament for the individual. Now, I remember a professor of mine, a Hebrew professor, when I was in seminary named Jay Sklar, was one of the first people uh, that I ever heard teach about, explain, and even preach on psalms of lament, and it kind of rocked me. It exploded my categories for what prayer is, for what prayer, faithful prayer, can sound like. And much of what I'm going to share with you this morning, I owe a great debt to Jay Sklar for, as I share with you. I remember him saying these words in one of our classes. He said, you know, so many of us have forgotten or never learned how to lament. But we can feel, uh, we can start to feel that it's wrong to have negative emotion toward God. But when we do that, we actually sacrifice a piece of our humanity. Because when we deny these real things within us, we actually have to pretend that there's nothing wrong with us. We have to pretend that we are a certain way before God that we're actually not. We have to pretend that God hasn't actually given us hearts that bleed and feel and weep. And that's why we need psalms like this. They are model prayers that remind us God actually knows that you have a heart that feels he knows that you have a heart that bleeds. He knows that you live in a broken world and that on any given day, things happen to you that you never saw coming and that totally overwhelm you. He knows that you can end up in dark places that you don't even know how you got there and everything is foggy. And in those places, you often feel too numb to pray. And when you do pray, you feel like your prayer just kind of bounces off the ceiling and comes back down. And in those places, we need words. And Psalm 13 is that for us. And whether you know it or not, more than one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. And if that's the case, an implicit message in that is that a vibrant prayer life is going to include lament. Is it not? And so we have to learn these. We need them. Our neighbors need them. Our world needs to see that Christians actually should be the most honest people and yet also the most hopeful people. And lament trains us to do that. So that being said, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 13 as a model lament psalm that shows us what it looks like to struggle for hope in the midst of our sorrows. You'll find it printed in your order of worship. I invite you to have the text in front of you as I read it now. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I give counsel to my soul, the sorrow that is in my heart all day long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Have regard, answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. But as for me, in your steadfast love I trust. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he will indeed deal bountifully with me. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is good and it's given to us because he loves us. Let's pray and ask for his help as we look at it together. Oh Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, even now, uh, we thank you for the gift of Psalms of Lament that teach us that hope does not mean denying pain. Hope means looking at pain honestly and still moving ever more toward you, knowing that you are our life and you are our hope. Help us to learn that anew this morning. We pray through Christ. Amen. Um, so uh, my, my first year after I graduated from college, I went to Auburn University and graduated in 2008, I think. It's hard to remember. And my first year out, I, I spent a year as a missionary on a small team in China, and uh, a team of seven. And like many people who move abroad, I, I took up new hobbies and acted like I had done those my whole life and that I was good at them. And, and one of those was rock climbing. I came over saying, yeah, I'm a good rock climber. And I remember one trip I took with my classmates. We went to one of the most beautiful parts of the country in China, this city called Guilin. And we went to this site there where they offered guided rock climbs. And it was just beautiful. There were these beautiful mountains. And if you could get to the top of them, you could see this really beautiful river with these awesome little silhouettes of, of these tiny mountains that stood beside the river. And so we thought, you know what? We can do this. And so we found a climb and thought perhaps it was at our skill level. It was a top rope climb, which means that the rope goes all the way to the top and you're kind of harnessed in. You have somebody who's holding you, belaying you making sure you get up there and guiding you, telling you what to do. And so we thought, of course we can do this. And uh, what made this one particularly challenging was that when you stood back from it, you could see what you were going to do. You know, you saw the path, you saw up at the top, the final kind of end goal, the destination, where you'd be able to see all this beautiful scenery. And, but when you got up to the base of the rock, you looked up and you saw nothing but rock because it kind of was inverted. You had to climb outward. Uh, which evidently was going to be quite hard. And so we, we get up to the, to the very base, and we start to climb. And I remember I, I, I'm getting slowly moving up, and I start to have to do this inverted thing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, my forearms are raw. I can barely grab onto anything. And the guy's telling me what to do and trying to motivate me, and I'm about to fall. I'm sweating. My heart rate is just increasing. And even though you're harnessed in, you feel like if you fall, you're going to die. And I remember I'm hanging on. And he's telling me to go over this way, and I see this like little kind of curve in the rock over here, like a miniature cave, and I just start kind of shimmying over to it. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm just like not even talking back to him. And I crawl up in there, and I just like lay down inside this little indention of the side of this mountain, and I'm just exhausted. And he's kind of calling up to me, making sure I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I remember sitting in that space, in this cave in the side of a mountain, I look down, and I see nothing but rock. I can't see the face of the guy because I just climbed over this thing. And I look up, and I still have to do it again. So I can't see where I started. I can't see the end. And I'm just stuck there, exhausted. Kind of hard to remember how I got there and where I'm going. And in many ways, uh, as I've thought about that experience and that scene, uh, that is really a picture of the perspective of lament. 
you're in this kind of cave. You find yourself kind of exhausted. You feel stuck. You're not really sure how you got there, and you're not really sure where you're going or how you're going to get out or if you have what it takes to get out. And you feel kind of lost, wondering how in the world did I even get here? In lament, you're in kind of a dark, helpless place. And the question for us is, what do you do? You ever found yourself in a place like that, emotionally or even just situationally in your life, wondering how in the world did I get here and how do I get out? It feels dark. I don't feel like I have what it takes to get out of it. The question is, what do you do when you're in that place? Some of us uh, like to hide when we're in that place. We withdraw from people, don't want anybody to know, kind of go off the grid. You know, some of us uh, are really good at faking it. We wear a big smile and we walk around act like everything is just okay and think that maybe if we fake it long enough, it'll be all right. What do you do? See, a lot of times we, I think we treat our emotions kind of like a, a beach ball that's inflated that we're trying to keep underwater. If you ever tried to do that, it is really hard. Uh, this little ball that weighs like nothing, you are using every ounce of your energy just to keep it below the water, and it keeps kind of popping up, and you're doing everything you can to keep it, keep it down. That's how we can treat our dark, kind of confusing emotions. And it is exhausting when you try to hide them like that. And a psalm like this actually tells us that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. God actually gives you the words when you are in the darkest of places you could ever imagine. And he says, I want you to actually bring all of that to me. I don't want you to hide it. I don't want you to fake it. I want you to speak it. And I want you to speak it to me honestly because I can handle it. And so what I want us to see is how that plays out in Psalm 13 by looking at what this psalmist does and just kind of asking questions as he, as he works through it. I want to ask, uh, what, I'm going to look at what he's feeling, what he does, and how he does it. So first, what, what is he feeling? Look at verses 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You know, put simply, the psalmist feels like God has totally abandoned and forgotten him. And I think we all know the pain of being forgotten. I mean, it can be as, as trivial or lighthearted as uh, a dear friend or a loved one forgetting your birthday. kind of hurts. But even more, when you're depending on someone, when you're relying on them in some way, shape, or form, when they forget, it's crushing. It feels so abandoning. It, it is painful. It stings. And the psalmist, in his brutal honesty, is saying he feels forgotten by God, and it, it really hurts. And so much so that he cries out, how long will you hide your face from me? He doesn't just feel forgotten. He feels like God may even be mad at him. You know, think about it. When someone hides their face from you, what is that an image of? Usually it's an image of someone who's mad at you. Perhaps you've hurt them. One of the, one of the meanest things that we do to each other is we kind of turn our face. We call it giving it the cold shoulder. You see somebody and you kind of turn your face. You're not even going to acknowledge their presence. In a sense, he's saying... His experience right now as a follower of God is so painful, he feels like God has not only forgotten, but that God has intentionally turned his gaze away, that God must be mad at him. And it is absolutely painful because he longs to see the Lord's face. He longs for the Lord's face to shine on him. And he feels like God won't even look at him. I mean, notice how many times he asks, how long? How long? How long, how long, how long? Four times. You know, why does he say it four times? You know, sometimes we, we repeat ourselves after a very positive experience. You know, something awesome happens. Somebody 
<clears throat> somebody tells you really awesome news, and you say, no way, are you serious? And you, you ask this question. But other times, <clears throat> it's when we're feeling negative things. <clears throat> Excuse me, fighting off a cold. Like anger or confusion. And we ask a question like, how could you do that? What were you thinking? Are you kidding me? And we repeat ourselves. <clears throat> and see, the psalmist feels abandoned by God. And the reason is because his suffering is severe <clears throat> and it's very confusing. And he doesn't know what to do. And from his perspective, it actually gets worse. Because he not only feels forsaken by God, <clears throat> and not only is he suffering deeply, but he's also suffering as a follower of God. It seems as though he's actually suffering for being faithful. You see, he, he, he looks up in verse 2, and he feels like his enemy is prospering. And the word enemy in the Psalms can mean so many things. It can mean people within the community of faith that are being cruel. It can mean people outside the community of faith that are trying to harm the people of God. But it can also be kind of like a personification of evil or of death or of illness or of our sinful flesh. But regardless of what he's talking about, you can imagine he's basically saying this, Lord, I am following you. I am clinging to you. I am attempting to be faithful. And yet everything in my life <clears throat> feels like it is falling apart. I feel like I'm in this pit. And even when I look up and look around, I don't see your face. Instead, I see people who don't even acknowledge you. People who don't even believe in you. And they seem to be thriving. And they're mocked. <clears throat> they are mocking me, and they're looking down at me, saying, where is your God, and how foolish do you have to be to believe in a God like that? Here I am as your child. Will you <clears throat> answer me? And friends, <clears throat> that is a cry of the Christian in distress. If you're a Christian, if you follow the Lord, you will inevitably feel like that at some point in time, whether it's because of pain in broken relationships, the pain of losing loved ones, the pain of loved ones going through hardship that you can't stop, uh, the pain of darkness and depression, pain you can't even put to words. And that's where the psalmist is, the deepest of pits, feeling forsaken by God. Now, have you ever cried out <clears throat> to God like that? And you, can you believe that he actually desires for you to cry out to him like that? I mean, think about this. We have, again, I, as I said, <clears throat> a little five-year-old girl, and uh, she's amazing. We love her. And we can read her like a book because she has not learned yet to mask her emotions. We know when she's afraid. We know when she's mad. We know everything kind of just by her face. And... You know, when we see her in a, in a tough place and we ask her how she's doing, like she, if she's afraid, and I say, are you okay? And if she is to deny it and look away and say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, and walk away, it is so painful because I know something's actually going on. I know she's actually nervous. I know she's actually afraid. And my deepest desire 
is simply for her to share it with me. And I want you to imagine that is God's posture toward you. He knows you. He knows when you're afraid. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're angry. And so often we can think uh, that our prayer life needs to sound really pious and be really happy. But God sees through those things. And he says, no, no, no. I actually want the real you to come to me because I can handle it. And that's what we're meant to see (coughs) in a psalm like this. How do you handle your sadness? Do you take it to God? It leads to (coughs) the next question, which is where do we go from this place? What does the psalmist do? What's important to see, he doesn't give up. He really starts crying out (coughs) for help with these three requests. Look at verses three and four. He says, consider, just have regard for me. He says, answer me. I'm crying out to you, and you're the only place I can go for help. He says, light up my eyes. Hope has faded from them, and they're full of tears. I want them to be filled with joy and the light of your face again. And as he makes these three requests, he also gives God a reason to act. He says, Lord, if you don't answer, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. He says, Lord, if you don't answer the people that are mocking you will actually begin to think his God does not care for his people. His God does not care for his children. You see what the psalmist is doing. His point is very simple. He is speaking the promises of God back to God, which is what we have to learn to do. He's saying, Lord, I'm your child. You've promised that you're going to care for me. You refer to me as the apple of your eye. You say you rejoice over me with singing. You say that you're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Be who you say you are. Be who you say you are. Act according to your promises and your character. And friends, that is integral to our life with God, to know and speak his promises back to him. He is building every request, every prayer, on the foundations of the promises of God. Even though he's in the pit of suffering, even though he's being mocked, instead of letting those voices be the last word, he refuses. And he's letting God and his promises have the last word on everything. I want you to listen to how counselor and author Dan Allender describes this. This quote's in the front of your your order of worship. Dan Allender says, To whom do you vocalize the most intense, often inarticulate anger? Would you do it with someone that could fire you or cast you out of a cherished position or relationship? Not likely. Because you don't trust them. You don't believe they would endure the depths of your disappointment and confusion. No. The one who hears your lament and far more bears your lament against them paradoxically is someone that you deeply and wildly trust. To sing a lament against God in worship reveals far, far greater trust than to sing songs about how happy we are and how much we trust him. Lament cuts through insincerity, strips pretense, and reveals the raw nerve of trust that angrily approaches the throne of grace and then kneels in awed, robust wonder and hope. You see, lament, counterintuitively, is not a sign of your lack of trust. When you are honest with God, you are showing that you trust him so much 
that you will bring every part of yourself to him and you're still clinging to him in hope and it actually deepens your capacity to praise him and gives you a more robust, authentic life of prayer and praise. And that leads to the last question, which is how does he have the strength to do this? How does he do this? And we see the answer in verses five and six, and it really comes down to one word in Hebrew. I'm gonna teach it to you. The word is chesed. I want you to say that word with me. Chesed. Let's do it one more time. Chesed. <clears throat> Sounds like me when I've been clearing my throat up here. Uh, and you can apologize <coughs> if you spit on anybody when you said that. Uh, but it is a very rich term. And it's so rich that we struggle to translate it well in English. It's sometimes translated loving kindness, sometimes unfailing love, sometimes steadfast love. And interestingly enough, <coughs> one of my teachers, again, he's a, a brilliant Hebrew scholar, said one of the best definitions of chesed is in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which describes it as this. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is chesed. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that is the anchor of every lament. You see, the psalmist doesn't know if his prayers are going to be answered. He doesn't know if the problem is going to go away. He doesn't know the answer to any of those things. But he knows that his God is a God of chesed, that he is a God of steadfast love. And because of that, he knows that his God will never forget him. His God will never turn his face away. His God will give light to his weary eyes. His God will one day wipe the tears away. He knows in some way that is true because God is a God of steadfast love. And in fact, I think what is so beautiful is that what this psalmist could not even imagine is that God himself would one day come in the flesh in Jesus and crawl down into the pit of our suffering and brokenness of this world and suffer here with us in order to one day end it all and wipe every tear from every eye because he is a God of steadfast love. And see, friends, the hope of the gospel is that Jesus actually can transform our lament one day into laughter And it's because of that that we can say with Charles Spurgeon, this great quote where he says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Our trials are meant to drive us deeper into the steadfast love of God. And so a real brief point of application uh, is simply to learn to pray the Psalms. I saw in your kind of church-wide devotional that you do a Psalm a day at least, And one of the things that that does is it takes you through the full gamut of psalms, some of which are very uncomfortable and where we have to learn to be comfortable with them. But it's as you do that, ah, this is wonderful. It's as you do that, that uh, the psalms do two things for you. At one level, for you, they actually change your prayer life and make it deeper and more robust. In one sense, the psalms make us more human, They mold us more deeply into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next who himself was a man of sorrows. But they also are a gift through us to our neighbors. What I mean by that is 
it is so common for people to imagine Christian communities as places where you have to have it all together, as places where you leave your hardships and trials at the door, as places where you can't be sad, where you can't weep, where you can't lament. And one of the gifts that we are to be to the world is that we are to be the most honest yet hopeful people anyone has ever encountered. And one of the ways that people know that through us is through the ability to actually lament. When hardship is happening, to not make light of it, but to enter the fullness of it. I mean, think about it. I think John 11 and Jesus in that text is one of the most beautiful pictures of it. After Lazarus has died, Mary runs out to him and falls on the ground. And she's weeping. You can imagine someone hysterically weeping at the loss of her brother. And in the presence of God... Jesus, she basically says, where were you? Like, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, that is a sharp lament. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. He knows he's about to raise him from the dead. He doesn't say, hey, get up, quit crying, I'm going to make it all better. He says, no, no, he gets on the ground and he weeps. Because the pain is real. And friends, that is what the Christian life entails. It takes the pain seriously. It takes our brokenness seriously. It weeps, even though we know that Christ will return and make all things new. That is what it looks like to learn how to pray the Psalms of lament, because our hope is in a Savior who weeps and yet also will wipe away our tears. So I want to close and go back to the rock climbing story. Uh, I remember I was in the side of this mountain and uh, was exhausted and trying to decide if I should go back down or try to go up. Didn't know which way was going to be best. And I finally said, okay, uh, I think I can do this. I hear this voice that said, Robert, kind of embarrassed that he's calling me out of this cave. And he says, you know I've got you. And I was like, okay, okay, I know, I know. And I remember being like, okay, I've got to trust this harness and just go for it because I really don't have the strength to get up to the top. And so I start going, and he's telling me exactly where to put my hands and where to put my feet and guiding me. And every now and then I start to slip, and then I feel like the harness is intact and in place. He's holding me. And I keep going, and he guides me all the way to the top. And toward the end, I feel like he he is, like, pulling the rope so that I will just get kind of catapulted to the top. And I finally get up there and crawl over the top, uh, not feeling super victorious. But I get up there, and I remember I see the most beautiful scene that I had seen at that point in China, this beautiful river even greater mountains, and it was amazing. And slowly I kind of come back down uh, and get to the bottom, and I remember he looks at me and he was like, he's like, you know I was going to get you to the top the whole time, right? I should have told you beforehand, no matter what, I was going to get you there. And I've left that scene and thought again and again that that picture of a helpless person struggling and yet being harnessed in, not letting go, not going to fall, is such a picture of the steadfast love of God in Jesus Christ. And we are told that the steadfast love of Jesus is fixed upon us in such a way that nothing, not even death, can snatch us out of it. You are harnessed in. And the invitation to you is to be honest with God about our helplessness, about our trials, about our darkness, about our confusion, about our sadness, Because he knows that we need him. And because it's as we do that that we remember again and again 
that my strength is not in my own sufficiency. My strength is in the steadfast love of the Lord Jesus Christ that keeps me to the end and will bring me home, even though the darkness is real and present. Because we know that we have a Savior who died and who rose again and who will return. That is our hope, and that is why we can lament, even with hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the gift of the psalms. We thank you for psalms of lament. Lord, we confess our, um, that we're impaired in many ways and that we need you to teach us what it looks like to be honest with you in prayer. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are honest about the realities of life in a fallen world and yet who bear a hope that is contagious to our neighbors. Lord, let us know that resurrection hope entails lament. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen.